most of the sermons featured here can be found at our website, henriettacf.org. Also, on Android or iOS mobile devices, you can find them on the Uversion app. Just click on search for live events and enter our zip code, 14543. Without further ado, Ask here's to this week's share. Um, and for the last uh, couple weeks, I've been considering what I want to talk about. Um, praying that whatever it is, it's what God would have uh, to be shared here. Um, sometimes I look through, as I prepare, I, I look through various scriptures and teachings and do some studying, and, and sometimes, um, you know, the, the effort in and, in and of itself to prepare to speak um, really ministers to me, because uh, it really, it, it forces me to kind of stop and really give some thought and consideration to what it is that God is saying, and oftentimes I find that um, he's saying things to me, and, and so when I get to share them to you, they're really things that, I'm, that, that I've been ministered to over the last you know, couple weeks. And uh, So I wanted to start off today with a um, kind of a touching story. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a story about a musician's heart. Uh, as a bagpiper, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at, the, at a pauper cemetery in the Kentucky backcountry. As I'm not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost, and being a typical man, I didn't stop for directions. I finally arrived an hour late, and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone, and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only the diggers and crew left, and they were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave, and I looked down, and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man with no family and friends. I played like I've never played before for this homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept, I wept, we all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my bagpipes and I started for my car. Though my head hung low, my heart was full. As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I never seen nothing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> Apparently, I'm still lost. It's a man thing. <laughs> so, sorry to ruin a touching story for, for any of you who are <laughs> were following that. But. So... As a, as a Christian, now, now I, I, I know almost everybody in here. There are some new faces that I, that I don't know. Um, but I'm going to kind of speak to those of us here who, are, who have professed faith in Jesus Christ who would consider ourselves Christians. And um, as a Christian, do you ever feel like you're, you're in a flood in a sinking ship? I've kind of had that feeling sometimes, uh, especially lately, 
as I, as I start to see, or as I see what's been happening for quite a while, this secularization of our, of our culture and society. We're, we're living in a, a time when religious ideas, interpretations, and institutions have lost social significance. Think about what that is saying. Where religious ideas, interpretations, and institutions, institutions have lost social significance, have, have lost their ability to have influence in society. And, and now, I don't believe that that's true, but I believe that we can, we can fall we can fall for that deception that, that we as Christians are becoming irrelevant in the society. I think it's actually the opposite, that right now is a time when Christians are relevant. Are, are the, we, have, we have the most relevant message that needs to be heard and understood by the world, by society, by culture. And during this, this flood, there can be a temptation to seek refuge on an uninhabited island, to be safe and left alone, to believe as we do, without persecution, to abide by the emerging worldview of tolerance and simply live and let live. These are things that are being taught to us, taught to our children, to just accept let people be, and if you give a, a, a version that's contrary to that popular secular worldview, then you're branded as being intolerant, branded as giving hate speech. So we have a message that has to get out, the message that Jesus Christ loves us, that he is our Savior, that he can save all of us, we have to give this message. This is our greatest, one of our greatest callings and commandments. You remember that childhood song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine? You know, we're called, we're not called to, to find an island, to find somewhere to be safe. We're not called to be quiet. But we're called to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 and 16. 13 through 16. The Bible talks about being salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds. The Bible doesn't talk about arguing with somebody. You know, they're... they're the debate, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but I might as well talk about it now. It, you know, arguing doesn't necessarily bring about any good or change. You know, there's certainly a time and place for, you know, 
for um, debate and, and to talk. And certainly, we should be prepared to be able to give answers to the reason why we have the hope inside of us. But as I'm going to discuss in a little bit, you know, this, we're, we're not dealing with an intellectual issue. We're dealing with a heart issue. In order for us to be effective as Christians, we have to understand who we are. The, the title of this particular um, message is Who I Am. And we sing that song that says it's who I am, it's who I am. It's not who am I as a question, but it's who I am as a statement. Okay? This is who I am. If someone were to ask you, are you a Christian? And you say yes. And they ask you, who are you? Would you be able to tell them who I am as a follower of Christ? What I'd like to do is, um, and I'm going to see, I'm not sure how this will work, but I have a list, okay? Um, and I will make it available to anyone who, who wants it. Um, but it's a list of who I am in Christ with, with, uh, with the Scripture reference. So rather than take the next, you know, several hours and read all the Scriptures that are associated, I'm going to make these statements. And, and the reason I wanted to do it this way is because as I read them, I felt, I could feel the encouragement and the reminding, the reminder of who I am in Christ. Because sometimes it's easy to, to forget or not think about who you actually are. You know, I'm, I'm an ordinary person, right, in this, in this earth. You know, there's nothing, uh, you know, necessarily particularly special or anything like that compared to anybody else. But in Christ, we are all something. And the Bible tells us who we are. And as I got to the end of this list, I'm like, wow. That's who I am in Christ. The identity that we have in Christ through the Scriptures. I am faithful. I am God's child. And as, as I read some of these, you know, think about what, what, what is it saying? And each one of these, again, is associated with a scripture reference. And I'll try to give some of them, but again, I will make the, the whole list available to anyone that wants it. I am God's child, John 1.12. I have been justified, Romans 5.1. I am Christ's friend, John 15.15. 15. I belong to God, 1 Corinthians 6.20. I am a member of Christ's body, 1 Corinthians 12.27 I am assured all things work together for good. Romans 8.28 How many times do we have to remember that? that? That all things work together for good. All things, not the good things and not just the bad things, but all things work together for good. We have no idea of what the outcome of our situations or circumstances are going to be but we can be assured that all things work together for good. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. I am confident that God will perfect the work he has begun in me. I am a citizen of heaven. 
I am hidden with Christ in God. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. 1 John 5.18 I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1.3 I am chosen before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4, and 11. I am holy and blameless. I am adopted as a child, as his child. I am given God's glorious grace, lavishly and without restriction. Ephesians 1, 5, and 8. I am in him. I have redemption. I am forgiven. How many times do you have to remind yourself, I am forgiven? And I think about that. When, when I know that I've done wrong, you know, and I ask for forgiveness for that, I, I'm reminded of the fact that I am forgiven. That's a pretty big deal, to be forgiven. If, and that's Ephesians 1.8, Colossians 1.14. I have purpose. How many of you in here have purpose? As a follower of Christ, you have purpose. I have hope. Every single person in here who professes Jesus Christ as their Savior has hope. And it's our responsibility to be able to share why it is that we have this hope to anyone that asks. I am included. I am sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I am a saint, Ephesians 1.18. I am salt and light. We just talked about that. I have been chosen, and God desires me to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Jesus Christ. I am God's co-worker, 2 Corinthians 6.1. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am alive with Christ, Ephesians 2.5. I am raised up with Christ. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I have been shown the incomparable riches of God's grace, God has expressed his kindness to me. I am God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 I have been brought near to God through Christ's blood. I have peace. How many times do you feel I don't have peace? You know, it happens to all of us. I don't, I don't have peace. The, the word tells us you have peace. I have access to the Father. I am a member of God's household. I am secure. I am a holy temple. I am a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. I share in the promise of, G- of Christ Jesus. God's power works through me, Ephesians 3.7. I can approach God with freedom and confidence, Ephesians 3.12. I know there is a purpose for my sufferings. I can grasp how wide long, high, and deep Christ's love is, Ephesians 3.18. I am completed by God. I can bring glory to God. I have been called. I can be humble, gentle, patient, and lovingly tolerant of others, Ephesians 4.2. You know, there is a godly form of tolerance. It's not the definition the world is putting on it. There is a godly form of tolerance. I can mature spiritually, Ephesians 4.15. I can be certain of God's truths and the lifestyle which he has called me to. I can have a new attitude and a new lifestyle. 
I can be kind and compassionate to others, Ephesians 4.32. I can forgive others. I am a light to others and can exhibit goodness, righteousness, and truth. I can understand what God's will is. I can give thanks for everything. I don't have to always have my own agenda. I can honor God through marriage. I can parent my children with composure, Ephesians 6.4. I can be strong, Ephesians 6.10. I have God's power. I can stand firm in the day of evil. I am dead to sin. I am not alone. I am growing, Colossians 2.7. I am his disciple, John 3.13.15. I am prayed for by Jesus Christ, John 17.20-23. You know, we... I think about that sometimes. We, you know, we have time of prayer where we pray for one another. And sometimes I think, you know, isn't it awesome that Jesus actually prays for us? I mean, that, I mean who, if, if you need prayer, <laughs> who, who, who is the ultimate person to go to for that prayer? I mean, the fact that Jesus Christ prays for us is an incredible thing. I am united with other believers. I am not in want. I possess the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. I am promised eternal life. I am promised a full life. I am victorious. My heart and mind is protected with God's peace. I am chosen and dearly loved, Colossians 3.12. I am blameless, 1 Corinthians 1.8. I am set free. I am crucified with Christ. I am a light in this world. I am more than a conqueror. I am the righteousness of God. I am safe, 1 John 5.18. I am part of God's kingdom, Revelation 1.6. I am healed from sin. I am no longer condemned. I am not helpless. I am overcoming. I am persevering. I am protected. I am born again, 1 Peter 1.23. I am a new creation. I am delivered. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am qualified to share in his inheritance, and I am victorious, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. As, as I went through that list, I could, it, was, it was almost like, like the encouragement that I needed to hear, and I started to feel, you know, this is the encouragement that we all need to hear. We need to review who we, and this is not an exhaustive list. I found, I found a lot more as I was searching for who I am in Christ. When I come to the end of the list, you know, I look in the mirror and you can kind of tell, you know, if you're like me, you kind of look in the mirror and say, really? All those things I am in Christ? Where have I put my faith and trust? It's so easy to become distracted by the sea that's around you. As we watch, again, the secularization of our society, it can be overwhelming to believe that you can make a true difference for Christ in this world. The message that we have is contrary to our popular culture. It's also not understood by those who are lost. But understand that you're never alone as you go out there and you be who Christ 
has called you to be. So I, uh, I argue all the time. It's, uh, it's basically what I do for a living. So, except at home, I don't argue with Sarah, because, and it drives her crazy, because I just, it's like, you know, you're, if you argue all day, you just don't feel like arguing anymore. Well, sometimes she feels like arguing, <laughs> and sometimes I, I, I don't, you know, engage anyway, so it, it kind of derails, and it's probably better if I just argued sometimes. But, but I argue all the time. And, um, you know, when you, when you argue all the time, you start to realize when your argument is not getting through. All right, there are times where I have a particular position that I'm arguing, and just the look on the judge's face, I know that it's not, it's not getting through, or just the look in the jury's faces, it's just it's not getting through. And there are times that you realize no matter what words you speak, you're not going to win the argument. The only way to make the other side agree with your position is to change their heart toward the matter. Sometimes, you know, in an argument, sometimes you, you know, you're appealing to reason, you're appealing to logic, you're appealing to you know, what the rules are. And despite all those things, the person's just not, not buying it. And the only way to get through at that point is to find some way to appeal to the heart of that person. Because the change of heart will then, the flow will be, you know, the change to, to potentially the position that you're arguing. The world is arguing a position that is contrary to God. The world would have you believe that there is no objective morality or source of right and wrong. No amount of argument or debate is going to change that position because it's not really a debate. It's not really based on logic or reasoning, but you're arguing against a heart condition. Matthew 15, 18. But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Have you ever talked with someone who has just a total different heart than you? Have you ever talked to someone about Christ who just has a total different heart from where you're coming from. I've seen people get angry. I've seen people get emotional. I've seen people just in disgust say, you know, I'm not listening, I'm not buying that. Not based on any reason or logic, but again, it's springing forth from the heart. And sometimes the only time, the only way to get through is, is to is to love that person. I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched, you almost see the continents change. The defenses come down. I've watched as you just simply love somebody, how it can completely change their whole demeanor, their whole continence, their whole uh, position to, to receive what it is that you're saying to them. I have a particular uh, person that I've been working with for several years now um, and he, you know, he has some mental health issues. 
Um, but he gets very angry. And they're about all kinds of things, a lot of crazy things. And, and the things that you can't, you can't engage in any, any debate on because he's not, he's not speaking from any place of reason or anything like that. And, and he had gone through about five different attorneys um, until finally I got a call from, from the court. Um, this particular judge, I've had some very difficult clients in front of him, and so now we've become kind of one of his, on his short list of go-to guys when he's got someone who's really difficult to manage, which... I don't know if that's a curse or a blessing for me, you know, because, <laughs> but, but he, he called and asked if I would come and, you know, meet this, this client and potentially take over his representation. Um, and so, so I agreed to do that, and um, I met him. He was extremely suspicious of me. He had already been through, you know, however many other attorneys, uh, suspicious of the whole system, um, you know, and, and so I, I, Basically, for probably the first several months, whenever we would get together, I just I would listen to him. Never, I, I never tried to interject my own opinion of his situation. Just listen to him. If he was legally wrong, I didn't correct him. You know, it, it would do no good. Just listen to him. And then finally, we got to a point where you know he kind of at some point was losing it, and I said. You know, I'll call him John. His name's not John. I, I said, John, you know, I, he, was, he was really, really losing it, like, you know, screaming, yelling, making a scene. And I just simply said, John, you know, you know that I care about your situation. I'm here to listen to you and to help you. And immediately his countenance changed. His, his defenses came down because I wasn't going to fight with him. I wasn't going to argue with him. I wasn't going to try to change his mind or position. I wanted him to see that I'm here simply to help him with no other agenda. And, and from that point on, it, it dramatically changed the way that he interacted with me. Um, and it's been, this probably happened two years ago or so, and I, to this day I'm still working with him. And he, he'll call up and he'll vent and then I remind him again, you know, I want to help you. And it, it came to the point where, <laughs> this is kind of funny, he, we, we go to court and um, he was in one of his kind of state of minds where he just wasn't, he wasn't seeing things the way that everyone else see them, sees them. And, um, and he, he started to go on and on and on. And then he stopped and he goes, he goes, Mr. Ganguly's been, he's been, he's been a great lawyer for me. And I trust him. And, you know, he's fantastic, he's ethical, on and on. And he's like heaping praise on in front of the judge, which has never happened with any attorney there. And he goes, I want to go pro se, which means represent yourself. <laughs> I'm like, wow, what, what kind of compliment is that? Where you, you're, he's a great attorney, but I'm going to go represent myself. So anyway, so, so I guess that's the closest I could come to, you know, him, uh, you know, listening to my position. But I, I bring up the point because sometimes it's the way you interact with somebody that really changes the, 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 their, their ability to respond when you have something important to say. And in order for us to be prepared to respond, when we've earned the right to speak into somebody's life, is that we have to be prepared, we have to know who we are in Christ. 
we have to be prepared to rely on who we are in Christ and rely on the Holy Spirit to minister to that person, to receive what it is you have to say. By knowing who you are in Christ, by being confident in who I am in Christ, I can speak to someone who is lost, regardless of where their worldview is coming from, regardless of what, what, how much they've bought into the world's philosophy, because you, you have begun to earn a place to speak into that person's life. You've started to affect the heart of that person rather than just go after the mind. Going after the mind is no good if you can't get to the heart first. I tell you, once, once you get that, that heart change, they're ready to listen to you. And the Holy Spirit's going to work in that person. And you're going to see that they're going to start to receive. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts, including our own. 1 Corinthians uh, 2.12 I have received the Spirit of God into my life that I might know the things freely given to me by God. You know, in considering, considering the Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about, I'm not getting into the, the, the teachings of, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit or anything. What I'm talking about is, is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us as believers. Now, I don't, for the Star Wars fans out there, because it's been referenced before, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dave, about this uh, Star Wars reference. I, I, know, I know where you stand on the issue. The, the force, <laughs> the Holy Spirit isn't a force. He's a person. The third person of the eternal trinity. Fully God in every way. This is important because false cults, like there's cults that teach uh, or deny the personality of the Holy Spirit. They deny the Trinity. But as we've seen, the Spirit testifies about Christ. A force cannot testify. Here, the Spirit guides the disciples. A force cannot give guidance. He speaks, he hears, and he reveals what he has heard to the apostles. Peter, Peter told Ananias that he had lied to the Holy Spirit whom Peter calls God in Acts 5, 3, and 4. You can't lie to an impersonal force. Paul commands us not to grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin in Ephesians 4.30. You can only grieve a person who loves you. Paul talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You can't enjoy fellowship with a force. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And there's some, again, I'll put notes up, Romans 8, 8 uh, 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. God has given us his word, and he has given us the Holy Spirit. We often struggle needlessly not knowing if, if what we are doing is what 
it is that God wants us to do or has called us to do because we do not seek out the guidance from the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that once you grasp who you are in Christ, or as you go through that list and and you're encouraged as to who you are in Christ, that it all of a sudden becomes easy. Okay? There's, there's, uh, There's certainly times of suffering, and there are certainly times of agonizing over doing the right thing. I think there's no clearer example of that as in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Thomas Binney, uh, he's an English, he was an English uh, Congregationalist, he was an abolitionist, and, and so-called Archbishop of Nonconformity said, there will be no Christian but what will have but what will have a Gethsemane, but every praying Christian will find that there is no Gethsemane without its angel. And Luke 22.43 says, An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God will strengthen you in those times of doubt. God will strengthen you in those times when you need to be the Christian, be the follower of Christ that God has called you to be. God will provide a way. He's not going to make it easy, but he will provide a way to strengthen you. Not, now, it's interesting in that particular verse, um, when it talks about strengthening, some versions might say comfort. The word, the word, that's used, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, is, is it really means strengthening, not, not necessarily comforting. You know, we can kind of wallow in our own sorrow. You know, that's pretty easy to do. And we can seek after God to give us comfort and peace. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But we should also be seeking after strength. Because, again, going through that list of who I am, I am doesn't, I am is not, well, I, 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 you know, can, I don't have to feel bad about myself, right? I don't have to struggle. I am is stronger than that. I am is, regardless of my situation, God will strengthen me. I can be effective despite my situation because God strengthens me. My prayer is that we would be strengthened during this time that we live. That, we, that to be the Christians that this world needs us to be. To walk in our calling. To reach this lost world with the good news. My prayer and encouragement for today is to know who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done It doesn't matter who you are. If you have received Jesus Christ into your heart, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, 
You are all those things that I went through, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your ability to speak, regardless of your ability to, to relate. You are all those things. And you can be confident that you are all those things and that you can walk in what God has called you to do in whatever situation that you find yourself in. You know, there's people that I, I watch speak sometimes, and I wish, boy, I wish I was as eloquent as them. That they could string together this message that just comes across so, you know, eloquent, and it's deep, and, you know. But, you know, as I approach, you know, any situation where I have to get up and talk, you know, I, I am who I am. And I'll prepare, I'll work hard, I'll convey the message. But, you know, I am going to do what it is that God has called me to do despite any reservation I might have, despite the fact that, you know, I may not be the, the most eloquent out there. You know, I'm not a famous, you know, preacher, evangelist, or whatever. You don't have to be. I guarantee you that in my life, and I know in many of your lives, that you have touched people and reached people that no other person could have. That you were in the place that you had to be in order to reach that person. That you were, you know, I often say that, you know, I, I look at, at my work as not just making a living, but also an opportunity to at times have an impact on someone's life. Where I can meet someone in a place that nobody else can. Where oftentimes I'll be the only one in the world that wants to help or is trying to help this person when the whole rest of the world looks at them and says, throw them away. What an opportunity. It's an opportunity that I don't get if I'm up here preaching necessarily. It's not an opportunity I would get if I was just so worried about being eloquent and prepared to, give, to speak to a crowd. But it's an opportunity that I have because of where God has placed me. In the profession that I'm in, the place that I'm in, where God has placed me. And each of you have a place, a place in life where you have impact on people around you. And I, I, I don't recall if I talked about another client I had at one point where um, he was very, very sick. And uh, he, is, he, was, he had become a Christian while, while incarcerated. And it was just, it was an incredible conversion experience that I'm not going to go into today. But, but, um, I had to go visit him. He was in a, a medical facility um, in, in South Carolina. And I sat down with him, and he, he said, and despite his, his you know, illness, despite where he was, he's like, I'm the most blessed man in this place. You know, I get, I'm put in a room with two other guys. One of them is a quadriplegic. The other is, you know, deathly ill. I get to help them every single day. And not only do I get to help them, but I get to pray with them. I get to do Bible study with them. And I'm like, and I'm thinking like, what an outlook. You know, what, he is in a place to get to those people where no one else is. Each of you are in a place where you have the ability to share, to minister to someone in need. Each of you. Somewhere that I can't get to. Somewhere where your neighbor can't get to. Know who you are in Christ so that you are prepared to minister to those people.
to the people that God puts in your path. So, I wanted this word to, to be one of encouragement as we leave here today to know who we are in Christ so that we can be ready when the world confronts us with what we know is not true, that we can be prepared to affect the hearts of those that God puts in contact with us. So that once we see that heart change, then they will start to see, they'll start to receive, they'll start to believe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast brought to you every week by Henrietta Christian Fellowship located at 1085 Middle Road in Rush, New York. If you have a prayer request or a need, we want you to know that we're here for you. Please send us an email at henriettacf at gmail.com. That's henriettacf at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for listening, and God bless.